Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome to Food for Thought, everyone. Thanks for listening. Can we talk? This was a question I asked you last year. After all, Food for Thought is the show with the objective to change the conversation about food insecurity. So let's converse. Let's set the tone, establish the boundaries for the conversation and the guidelines about how we will and should talk. I asked you this question last year and shared this opening monologue. Since then, the conversation about food insecurity across Michigan has changed. Here's what I've learned. First of all, you needed to have the courage to change the conversation. Because when you change the conversation, one thing is certain, you will be criticized. Just because the conversation is different than what it's ever been before. That's okay. You probably need three qualifications to lead in this world. The first is you should have the mind of a scholar. Second, you should have the heart of a shepherd. And third, you definitely need the hide of a rhinoceros. And Jerry and I, we got one out of the three at least. Secondly, when you change the conversation, the conversation will change you. Changing the conversation forces us to grow. Because you can't lead where you've never been or where you're unwilling to go. So changing the conversation means growing yourself. And when you do that, it prepares you. Because when the conversation changes, there will be new opportunities. And the only thing that goes by faster than time is an opportunity. And we have to be ready for the coming opportunities because the conversation is changing. Culture will change when the conversation changes. Their conversations will be different than they were before. You will be different. People you converse with will be different. And that's when you need to connect. When the conversation changes, the culture changes, and thereby the conclusions change. Now, this year, we're talking about possibilities and not just problems. We're discussing outcomes rather than just outputs. My conversation changes because I'm striving to add value to the people that I'm conversing with rather than seeking what can I get. Eleanor Roosevelt said, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. We're having conversations that we've never had before in healthcare, education, workforce retention, and we're changing the conversation that we used to have about agriculture, and it's different than it's ever been before. So, today, Cheryl Kirschenbaum is our guest, and she's the host for the Our Table Conversations at Michigan State University, and we're going to talk with Cheryl here in our WJR studio about how we're changing the conversation about food access and food insecurity across the great state of Michigan. You come back and be with us. Jerry and I will be right here. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan 
Visit fbcmish.org. Welcome to Food for Thought, everyone. Jerry Brisson and Dr. Phil Knight here in the WJR studio. Jerry, how are you today? Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. You know, there's so much exciting going on, and we have got an incredibly exciting guest. And you know how I get when we get somebody on who's smart and articulate and knows a lot. It's like, okay, here we go. I'm at the edge of my seat. So that that's in contrast to having conversations with me. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so our guest today is Cheryl Kirschenbaum. And uh, Cheryl, you are the host for the Our Table Discussions at Food at MSU, part of the team there. And uh, you and I met at the very first Our Table Discussion that was held, held in Lansing uh, several months ago. And just watching you um, kind of work the room and work with the guest and make sure that uh, you were just a tremendous facilitator. And I knew right then we had to have you as a guest on Food for Thought. So welcome. Well, thank you. And that was one of the kindest introductions I think I've ever had. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> well, great. It's, so let's just, let's start with you just a little bit and introduce yourself um, and and to our listeners and why uh, this whole idea of, of food and access and all food safety and everything that goes into the conversations that you're hosting, uh, why it's so important to you. Sure. Well, I mean, I can tell you why I'm so excited about this initiative. Um, and I don't come to this as a food scientist. My whole background is in science communication and all my graduate work had to do with really the environmental science piece. But I got really interested in policy and really interested in public understanding of science. And what the stories are about food, uh, whether they're related to sustainability or food access or food safety or food waste, they're big stories. And I think a lot of us don't appreciate the myriad of ways that food impacts our lives. And so what Food at MSU and the center of piece of that is called Our Table. The, the purpose of this initiative is to really foster dialogue, listen to each other. I think a big challenge in all sorts of food issues and really every issue, I feel like in 2018, is the fact that we're talking past each other. We're not really getting a sense of where others who are thinking about the same issues might be coming from with different perspectives, different experiences. So Food at MSU is really all about starting these conversations. We invite scientists, but we also invite medical professionals, farmers, all sorts of community members, including, you know, folks at the table, but also in the room. And we have a conversation and we don't tell anyone what to think as they're walking away after they've listened or participated, but we hope they leave a little more informed um, and a little more thoughtful on that topic. And I know so far that I always have uh, learned a lot from the people who are sitting at the table and especially from the community that comes to be a part of the conversation. So you're finding that listening matters. Would you believe it? <laughs> really? It really seems to make a difference. I mean, if you think about a lot of these big food issues, and the one that comes to mind most immediately is all the conversations we have about GMOs. Like, that's a really big policy issue right now. And there's, there's discussions about food labels and what they should tell consumers and, and what we should do about genetically modified foods. And it's, it's like the, the policy conversation is lagging so far behind the science but then we've seen through, we're doing national polling to get a sense of where people are on food topics. Over a third of people aren't even aware that all food contains genes. So we're having these big policy conversations and we're leaving most of the rest of our communities 
out of it altogether. Um, so fostering dialogue, listening to each other, I think that's all part of coming up with like real practical, meaningful solutions. Do you feel, I mean, so this is a really big topic on so many levels. As we're trying to imagine the next level of food security for the community, and of course, producing genetically modified food is one of the ways to get more food off the same number of acres, right? I mean, that's one of the things that it's invented for. So That's one of the things. Right. It's obviously many, many more things, but it's a because it, that's one of the things, it's very interesting to us in food banking to really understand that science and say, is there an opportunity here to think about how GMOs can help end food insecurity? So would you say that at this point, from the science, you have an opinion about that? I do have an opinion. I mean, it's it's such a complicated and controversial issue. And it's, it's not perfect or imperfect. I feel like we're always presented as if GMOs are this one thing that's either good or bad. And I like to think of it as more of a tool. Like it's like, you know, with a hammer, say you have a hammer. A hammer can build something really useful or it can do a lot of harm. It has to do with whose hands it's in, right? Um, and the harm, if it does harm, it can be intentional or unintentional. So GMOs, um, they have had some real problems. We've seen some issues, especially with um, products made by large multinational corporations. But they have the capacity to improve the quantity and the quality of food at a time where we know the population is growing around the world. Our resources are ever more limited and the planet is changing. So they have the potential to do a lot of good if we invest in the research and the science. So from a philosophical standpoint, GMOs would be amoral. Not immoral, but amoral. Amoral. In other words, they're neither good nor bad, but there's potential for both, and we've got to be careful. As Cheryl said, it's the hammer in your hand. You can use it for good or you can use it for bad. So we've got to take a break here, folks, but... We're going to come back because we're talking with Cheryl Kirschenbaum, who is the host for the Our Table discussions at food at MSU, Michigan State University. And you got to say something. If you're not interested yet, just wait. I mean, this is the tip of the iceberg for the kinds of things that, that we really need to get our hands on as we're imagining food security in the future. This is really awesome. Jerry Prasan, Cheryl Kirschenbaum, Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought. We'll be right back. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Thanks for listening. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in the studio and on our uh, WJR line, Cheryl Kirschenbaum, who is the host for the Our Table, uh, which is really a roundtable discussion at MSU. And Cheryl, this is actually a table that goes to every place where you guys are holding these dynamic conversations. Isn't that right? So far, it's quite a heavy table. It's a (laughs) table made from wood reclaimed from the Michigan State University campus, and it's a really beautiful piece of art as well as a place for having these discussions. Uh, So far, the community discussions have taken place very close to campus, but we hope to expand beyond Michigan and perhaps at some point beyond the U.S., so we'll see how far the table actually travels, but I'm optimistic. Yeah, I, I, I remember the table uh, when we were at um, uh, Crystal Ray there in uh, Lansing, and it is a beautiful, really a beautiful piece to, 
to behold. And, you know, I think that just the fact that you, you, you know, it is a our table discussion and, you know, the pronoun that you, you guys chose is our, it's not, it's not mine. It's not your, it's our table. And then I think the semblance of, uh, of the, the table itself throughout all of literature is a place where people come to receive. They come to give, they come to receive, they come to get what they need, they come to communicate, uh, they come to receive blessings, they come to give blessings. And I think that just the idea of having a table and and it being our table, a place we can gather and have conversation that really is meaningful, you know, it's kind of like growing up and sitting at your kitchen table. and I, That's the idea. I mean, you talked about all these things we do at the table. I like to think of it as a place that we share, that we listen and we share. So everyone has something to say, everyone has something to contribute, and everyone at the table and listening in the community is, you know, is there to learn something and come away with some new information. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing how it grows over time. So I'm I I Jerry, you can see why she's such an awesome facilitator. Yeah, you know how she just <laughs> ties that right in. You know, that's I love that. So yeah, so it's it is a great it's a great symbol for us as a community and as a state, particularly when we're talking about such important issues regarding food. Well, what I really like about this table idea, I've worked at about five different universities over the course of my career, and. These kind of institutions are usually really good at celebrating our own faculty and telling everyone what they should do. And I, this Our Table initiative kind of flips that on its head by inviting a lot of people outside of the university to be a part of the conversation and then not giving people a plan of action, just saying, let's listen, let's, let's think about things. We have a lot to learn as well. We have to be a lot more humble. And that, to me, is, is the value uh, of our table. Well, and while we were on our break, we had a really brief uh, entrance into a conversation that I think is really important, and that is, who are we listening to when it comes to food? And I and I would love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, so this is something I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and writing about, because we are just saturated with information on food and how to eat and what the important decisions we should be making are. But a lot of the time, it's not coming from food experts. It's not coming from people in either studying these issues in academia or from a social justice perspective. It's coming from celebrities and gurus that happen to have big followings online or offline. Um, so why is that? And what does that mean for the future of, of how we eat? And, and is it causing us to make decisions that maybe aren't so healthy? Like we can see these crazes taking over. There's the big fad where everyone suddenly wants to eat gluten-free food, for example. And, and gluten-free food is great if you have celiac disease or if you have a gluten sensitivity, but those foods generally aren't healthier. So they often take gluten out and they substitute more fat, they substitute more sugar, they substitute more salt. So if you're eating for just your health and you don't have a medical issue, it's not probably the best decision for your body. But if you turn to, I don't know, a Kardashian or Gwyneth Paltrow or one of these folks that have a lot of influence, they're telling consumers who are trying to make smart decisions for their families something else. And there's so many topics as examples. But I think that getting past a lot of that noise and helping people find a real reliable source of credible information based on actual expertise is so important because 
these kinds of choices we make influence the health of our friends, our families, our communities, and our lives, really. And is a major cause of food insecurity, and not just food insecurity, but even bankruptcy, is health, people's health. Yes, and I, and I want to add to this conversation this way. So, so I agree with you. Who we listen to about food is critically important, and it shapes our behavior to the degree that the majority of Americans in the near future are going to have type 2 diabetes. That is that is a trending fact, right? This is something that healthcare professionals are warning us about right now. Yet, when we go to the ballpark, what do we see advertised? Carrots, broccoli, and, you know, onions, right? No. What we see is beer and sausage and, right? those traditional foods. Now, I'm not against beer or sausage. If you could actually see me, which is a blessing to our listeners, they don't have to do that, you would know pretty quickly that beer and sausage is my friend. But when it comes to who we listen to about food and how it affects us, I think you're onto something really important, even in this topic of how ultimately are we going to address food insecurity? It's very complicated, and there's a lot of public distrust uh, when it comes to information on food and other topics related to science. And some of that is justified, because if you look at the history of uh, government and corporate information on some of these topics, it's shady, to say the least, at times, especially when you're talking about what we've told people about sugar, whether it's good for them or bad for them, with the example you mentioned about diabetes becoming such a, a major health issue and challenge that's especially hitting the most vulnerable communities in the states and around the world the hardest, right? Because it's the people who can least afford to be sick that are getting sick because they're eating food that's making them sick because that's less expensive and more available. I mean, it's a compounding problem that, of course, we can't even hope to solve with one university in in one part of the country, but it's a conversation where maybe we can start to have an impact locally and um, change the conversation about uh, about what we can do. So who should people listen to? As you think about who they're listening to that maybe they shouldn't be listening to, on the reverse side of that is who should they be listening to? Well, That's who should I question. be listening and to? It's, it's, it's a really hard response, right? Because while you have a lot of scientists, dietitians, medical expertise out there, most of what they're publishing is in academic literature that tends to behind a, be behind a paywall. So instead... Everybody goes to the University of Google, as they say, and and finds all sorts of information. So we have this really big miscommunication problem. Um, Fortunately, there's new opportunities for people who are doing research, um, sharing information. Like academics can publish in this not-for-profit organization that publishes a, a it's an outlet called the Conversation. And what's great about the Conversation is they only accept. Uh, information from academics, but then those articles that are written can travel as widely as you can imagine. I mean, I, I wrote something once there that had over two or three million views in outlets like um, like Yahoo and the Washington Post and the LA Times, and anyone can pick it up and share it. But that's certainly not going to work for everyone. So I think a lot of um, a lot of the emphasis needs to be about encouraging actual experts to get out there beyond their laboratories and to be more engaged with the public if they want to make a difference and have an impact. And I'm hoping that we're transitioning uh, 
to that becoming more of the norm. But I think we have a long way to go. So Cheryl, how you know when I when I read your bio and I look, I, you're obviously writing, and you just alluded to that. So how would our listeners find you and follow you and some of your writings? <laughs> well. If they're at all interested after I've yammered on, uh, I'd say, I guess, go to my website. My name's a little hard to remember, but it's CherylKirschenbaum.com. But if you just remember my first name, which is S-H-E-R-I-L, it's really easy to find me online. Great. Okay. So even though we might have to use the University of Google to do that. Yes. And of course, we have all of the information. I'm sorry. We have all the information about food at MSU at uh, food msu.edu where you can see a lot more about what we're doing with this initiative and including uh, hear about, stay updated on, sign up for information related to our upcoming roundtable discussions because we've got one coming up in just another week, actually less than a week on food safety, another one on food in the law. The following month we'll be talking about GMOs soon and I just had a conversation this morning about food and the future technologies that are going to be changing the way we eat. Uh, so we might be exploring that a little bit more too. It's, it's such a wonderful topic because it's such a broad topic that allows us to have fun and challenge ideas that a lot of us kind of have helped for a while um, and think about things more comprehensively. And yet so very, very important, broad, but so very important. She's Cheryl Kirschenbaum. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back on Food for Thought in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. And Cheryl Kirschenbaum, who is the host for the Our Table discussions at MSU. And that's food at MSU. And um, Cheryl, thanks so much for being with us. Um, You are having some great conversations in the community And uh, something that Jerry says often about this whole issue of food insecurity and how do we create and help people solve hunger in their own lives is that, you know, we've been at this work for a number of years and none of us have ever solved it. So that should humble us all and we should all learn from one another. And I think the hour table discussions with the community is giving us an opportunity to learn because it gives us an opportunity to listen. So some of those topics that popping into your mind, we asked you some of that in the, in the last segment, but I think there's got to be some more that people are in general concerned about in their own life and thus therefore for our community and for our state and, you know, all the way out to our planet. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, something we had a roundtable discussion on recently is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, uh, which is food waste. And on the surface, I think a lot of us don't really know what to make of food waste. Like, what does it even mean? Maybe we recognize we throw away a lot of the stuff in the back of our refrigerator that we forgot about, but it bleeds into so many other really important issues. So I feel like none of the conversations we have are really mutually exclusive. From a food waste perspective, what we know is that In the U.S., we're throwing away almost half of the food we produce. It's 1,400 calories per person 
per day, which is absolutely absurd when you can't, like think about at the same time the fact that so many people also don't have enough to eat, that kids are going to school without having breakfast because they, don't, they can't afford to have breakfast in the morning. I mean, it's, it's absolutely absurd and ridiculous, and there's so much we can do on a topic like food waste that would not only be good for the environment, which I think is the frame a lot of us think about food waste in, but that also could be redistributed to have a real impact in the lives of families. And at the same time, a topic I've been working on my entire career is climate change. Food waste wastes a ton of energy, uh, produces a ton of carbon emissions, and also wastes a lot of water. So if we start to be more efficient and smarter with the ways that we reduce food waste or our food print, as they say, we'd not only be protecting the environment, um, mitigating the effects of climate change, but we could also be a lot better about redistributing that excess food to people who actually need it. Wow. I just want to frame just for a second the cost of 1,400 calories per person per day, right? We're talking about over 300 million people in the country. At a fraction of a penny per calorie, you are talking about millions and millions of dollars in value every day. That's an astounding number. It is. And there are things There are things we can't recover. There's food waste that's always going to be food waste. But there's so much we can do, for example, in our schools, in our hotels, in, you know, all sorts of large, think about if you go to a wedding reception uh, or, or if you go to an event, how much is often just dumped right after. Uh, we can be a lot smarter and there's been tons of research into how to do better. So I just hope coming away from some of these conversations, it'll give more of us a sense of, um, of what we can do to have an impact that matters. So it's ironic, or maybe it's not ironic, that one of the leading food recovery rescue organizations uh, is Forgotten Harvest, located down here in southeast Detroit, in the southeast Michigan area. And that CEO for Forgotten Harvest, Kirk Mays, is also a fellow board member with Jerry on the Food Bank Council Board of Michigan. Uh, and so we just had Kirk on the show just last week talking to us about the, some of the very same things that you just talked about. And one of the things that separates Kirk uh, and Forgotten Harvest is that ability to rescue prepared foods. And uh, they're doing an outstanding job with that. And in fact, they're one of the leading food rescue organizations in the entire U.S. So I think that they have a lot to contribute to this conversation as well. The cost of that, and I can hardly wrap my mind around all that, the savings it would mean... but, you know, when you when you get down to it, I mean, I think, Cheryl, you point make the point very well that as long as we have kids who are going to school hungry and coming home from school and being hungry while they're at home or when we have a snow day here in Michigan and that's a after a weekend, that's a three days in a row. They probably didn't have enough food. When you think about that in terms of food waste, it is. Is that is immoral. But I want to throw a policy issue out here because I, I think there's ways to address this. We just have to be creative. So I, you know, one of the things I also say all the time is we do what we measure. So here's the thing. If we taxed food waste 
if we tax it at every part of the food supply chain, you know, and and we said, look, if you throw food out of your house, you, you got to put it in a special garbage can and we're going to charge you two cents a pound for every mm-hmm. every pound of food that you throw away. What would happen to the way we think about the food we buy at the store that we know we're not going to consume? We would just think about it differently, right? So it doesn't in 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 our mind that all gets we're paying taxes for our garbage to be picked up now, whether we like it or not, right? It's mm-hmm. part of what we pay our local taxes around. We just don't subdivide it in a way that necessarily makes sense from an environmental perspective or a you know a perspective that could actually drive. Um, success in an issue like food security, right? So, and again, I'm not, I I know this is simplistic, but for the purposes of this conversation, 1,400 calories per person per day, there has got to be an opportunity there. There has, and I think you're absolutely right, that a big part of one of the levers to change people's behavior is going to be economically. But there's so many ways to to save money. I mean, even even pieces of that, right? Because we lose food along the whole production process between the farm and the transportation and what happens at the supermarket, like ugly fruit, no one wants to eat it, that sort of thing. Um, the previous position I held at the University of Texas was all about energy. And our group very conservatively estimated, very conservatively, so I know it's higher, uh, that we are tossing 2% of the entire U.S. energy budget away just in the food that we waste. 2%. Now, we're spending all of this time and resource and technology to try to invent new ways to save energy when really, if we could waste less food, that would have a huge impact and save a lot of people a lot of money. That's an astounding number. I mean, these are astounding numbers. 2% mm-hmm. of the entire energy of the country is being thrown away in food waste. So we've got to be able to do more, don't you think? I mean, again, there's a policy solution here somewhere. It's a big enough problem that it would help us save money somewhere and put it where it would be more effective. And that's what policy should be enabling, right? I mean, and again, without being overly simplistic, the solutions that are going to drive a food secure community have to include conversations about taking money that's not being well spent here and putting it there. Cheryl, we're going to give you the last word in this segment here. Um, Well, I'm looking forward to learning a lot more, and I always learn a lot from listening to both of you. So thank you for having me. Well, so here's what we're going to have to do is uh, we're out of time for today, but we're going to have to continue this conversation with you. And I hope that you'll be uh, interested and willing to come back on Food for Thought and continue the conversation with Jerry and I. Well, I'd be delighted to. You just let me know when you have some time, and if I can even get to Detroit, that would be fun, too. Absolutely. We'd love to have you here in the studio. She's Cheryl Kirschenbaum. She's the host for the Our Table Discussions at Michigan State University. She's a thought leader in this work, and we've been honored to have you here on Food for Thought. It's been my pleasure. Thank you again so much. Jerry and I will be right back in just a moment to wrap up this edition of Food for Thought. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. 
Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, everybody. Jerry, that was Cheryl Kirschenbaum. And uh, lots of unbelievable, I mean, almost shocking information. Well, that's kind of how I I felt listening to her. And, And again... One of the main reasons why I think this issue can be solved is we we just know so much more than we've ever known about the consequences of how we deal with food. And so she, she and I'm going to reference some of the points again, 1,400 calories per person per day going to waste in the country, and it takes 2% of our entire energy portfolio to power that waste. Right. And when you put the cost of those two things together, it's astronomical. So when numbers get to be that big, you can't imagine the opportunity it presents. Right. It's not just a problem. It's an opportunity. So how do we harness that opportunity? Those are the innovations that are going to drive food security when we really learn how to harness those opportunities. And yes, it's complicated. There are pieces in the food supply chain from farm to fork that have to be mobilized in order to take advantage of what that opportunity represents. But that is what we need to do. And that's what we are doing. We, we know we're doing it in healthcare. We we know we're doing it in retail food pickup. We're looking carefully at restaurants, but we also have to look at households. And and it's got to be comprehensive. It's got to include policies. It's got to include um, how our legislature looks at these issues and refocuses our attention on things that can really make a difference. Now, they do that now, and they're doing a great job in many ways. And I know, you know, that's there's lots of debate about legislatures and policies, but I'm going to tell you the machine of government is critical and it works in many ways positively. Well, it it's a it's a tool in the anti-hunger toolbox for sure, and one that cannot be ignored. But they also need our help. Exactly. I mean, particularly here in Michigan with our legislature, and I know that uh, term limits are a very popular, but. Honestly, it really makes it hard to get great policy done. So uh, they're just not there long enough to be able to to come up with a solution. This is, as Cheryl said, this is a very complicated issue. And one conversation affects the next conversation and three conversations down. And you can't just go at this piecemeal. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It just doesn't work. And you've got to you've got to have an integrated, long conversation that really looks at the impact, both short term and long term. And part of the reason we have so many guests on our show, because they're all involved in the solution in some kind of way. And it's our job to pull them in, get us all together and keep crafting solutions. Absolutely. Well, you know, there was I think a few things that really, you know, shocked me. And one you mentioned the, the you know, the 1400 calories, the two percent of our energy. But, you know, I, what I really like about this is Michigan State University, a tremendous land-grant university in the, in the United States, and has been plagued by controversy, for sure, over the last few months. Yet, in the midst of all this, there's some very positive work that affects people across our state, and across our country, and yet across our world, that's happening at Michigan State University. Yeah, yep. It's it's a phenomenal resource for us here. It is, and so their their approach to the, to 
to take on the idea of food and all that goes with that, the research and food safety and food waste and the impact on the environment and food security for sure, all these things. I, I think it's just tremendous to have a person like Cheryl, like Ron Hendricks, Dean Ron Hendricks, Dr. Jeff Dwyer, all of them have been guests on the show and for them to give their life to this cause as well. It's really important to keep pulling smart people, dedicated people, innovative people into the conversation. No question about it. Absolutely. Well, it's time for a little food for thought. There's a sentiment that talk is cheap. Not so. Talk is only cheap when all you do is talk. But talking, conversing is critical to the creation of ideas, and ideas, once vetted, can create solutions. Talk isn't cheap. It's valuable. It's valuable because it gives a voice to our thoughts. I think that our thoughts should be big, should be bold, and they should know no boundaries. John Maxwell once said, a minute of thought is worth an hour of talk. Well, Jerry and I are out of time today for our hour of talk, but we're going to keep thinking, talking, and taking action in an effort to help our network complete this big, bodacious idea of helping everyone who struggles with hunger to have access to the food that they both need and want. Thanks for listening to us today. Check out all of our shows at foodsecuremichigan.org. Find us here uh, on Twitter at DrPhil14. And until next time, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.